When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back to the show, MD Nation. How are we all doing on this lovely Monday evening? As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media at Show. And of course, when you get the opportunity, please subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. We're always coming out with new episodes Monday through Friday, all throughout the week, and other content as well. Well, today, of course, we'll be going over the week seven Sunday afternoon recap. Make sure to tune us back in tomorrow because, you know, 10 a.m., same place, social media at Billy MDFF show. And of course, the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. We will be going over the Sunday night, the Monday night recap, and of course, the waiver wire report. Probably won't be a thick one, but we do have some things that we're going to go over today. And you'll probably get a good idea of who we're going to be targeting in that waiver wire report tomorrow, which we'll go into more detail about, you know, resources, what we would expend on getting any one of these players. But the bye week, I shouldn't say the bye weeks, but the main bye week, the desolation, the Armageddon, the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, the bye week is over. The week seven bye week is over. Of course, we got the Monday night game going on right now as of recording this show, but it was a hell of a one. And you know what? Some people, some people lucked out. Some people had to play guys that you never would have wanted to play in a million years because you had no other choice and you're throwing guys who just had a pulse into your 12-man leagues. I can't even imagine. I'm in a couple of them myself, but I can't even imagine how many out there are in 14, 16-team leagues, what you had to throw put to put together an active lineup. Can't even imagine. 
because even the 10, 12 team leagues were desperate throwing things, just throwing things against the wall and hoping they would stick. We got a lot to go over in today's show. Now, not as many matchups we normally would have, but still, nonetheless, a lot of fantasy value to evaluate and try to move forward with. Because, I mean, we're here, guys. We're at the middle point of the season. We got seven games left of the fantasy football regular season, and they have the playoffs weeks 15, 16, and 17. And I guess if you're still part of those amateur hour leagues, I suppose you might be going all the way to week 18. Although I really hope most of you out there, especially if you've been playing for more than a year or two, would have taken advantage of the gift the NFL gave you and kept your championship week 17, even though there was an extra week 18. I hope you did, but I know there's a lot of people out there did week 18. Don't worry. This show goes all the way through the playoffs. Because the one thing we knew what we're going to be doing this year is that we're not going to end when the regular season ends at week 18 like we have in years past. We're going to continue on with one episode a week where we'll talk about betting the playoff games and talk about DFS contests. Our DFS contest, which went on this past weekend as it does every week, will continue on through the playoffs so we can keep giving you easy sports betting data for free as we can keep giving you a championship football each and every month. We'll talk about that more later on the week. We do have our winner, but I'd like to announce it when the show is ready to come out. All right, let's dive into this today, right? Let's get let's get into the nitty-gritty. There's a lot of news things that we're going to go over and hash out as we kind of move through this thing. But let's kick things off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chicago Bears. The Bears ran into a buzzsaw as expected. Which was more surprising to me is that the Bears-Tampa Bay game, as far as the three big, you know, spread games that there were, because it was it was the Rams, it was the Cardinals, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Bears. Tampa Bay, that was actually the closer spread than the other two. But man, oh man, this game was dominated from the get-go by Tampa Bay. They went up, they're up 35 points by halftime. They only scored three more points in the, in the second half just because, you know, trying to wear out the clock. Tom Brady, 20 of 36, only 211 yards, but four touchdowns right off the bat. Three of them going to Mike Evans, who had six catches, 76 yards on 10 targets. And then, of course, Chris Godwin had a great game as well. Eight receptions, 111 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. This was expected. No Gronk, no Antonio Brown. So all of a sudden, now you have a target consolidation on a team that you knew, no matter what, was going to throw the ball, at least come out throwing the football. So you got the benefit of that with those two. Now, we'll see when Antonio Brown was able to come back. We didn't get much detail. I mean, we barely even knew he was going to miss this game until he opened up the practice week on Wednesday and suddenly didn't practice because we didn't hear too much about that ankle sprain after the Thursday night game from the week before. So we'll have to see if Antonio Brown is still going to miss another week or is he going to be able to give it a go this week. They're hopeful that Rob Gronkowski is going to be back from that rib injury. We'll see if that can come to fruition or not. The only disappointment, I guess you could say, was that O.J. Howard was not involved and I know some people probably streamed him this week looking for options, given that he was involved the week before and Gronk was going to miss another week. And it was clear that O.J. Howard had overtaken Cameron Brait as the main pass-catching tight end over the past couple of weeks. That actually changed a bit in this game. and went back to Cameron Brait. Now, they both had three targets, but Cameron Brait had 26 routes run compared to O.J. Howard's 12. 
What do you take out of that? Nothing. Look, Rob Gronkowski is going to come back next week. He'll assume the starting role. He'll be the main pass catcher for Tom Brady. This was nothing more than a last stream on this. That's it. That's all. Leonard Fournette continues to be excellent. Leonard Fournette continues to be an RB1. 15 carries for 81 yards. Picks up a touchdown in this game. Just two receptions for nine yards on four targets, but that's pretty good considering the game script that went on here. Most of that came in the first half. We knew he was going to be very involved in the game. It was going to look to be a blowout, frankly. And that's what came to fruition here. Ronald Jones, 10 carries, 63 yards. If you haven't dived into this game, and maybe you haven't, and that's why you're hopefully listening to the show so I can help you do that, really make a good understanding of what's going on. On the box score, it looks like, uh uh-oh, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, did they go back to their committee? No, not at all. Ronald Jones got all of his work pretty much in the second half. They were up big. There was no reason to, you know, put Leonard Fournette at risk, especially when you've made it clear that he is your lead guy. He's the guy that you want to feature in this offense moving forward. So you're not worried about that from any standpoint. Like I said, the Bucs, there's not much to take away other than we got to wait and see when does Brown, when does Gronk officially come back. On the Bears side of the ball, Justin Fields does not look good. Now, I'm not sitting here and going to say that Justin Fields is going to be a bust because he's still dealing with Adam Gase 2.0 as his head coach. By the way, if you haven't heard, Matt Nagy did test positive for COVID along with a few other staff, and I think a couple of other players too. So we're going to have to watch Chicago Bears and the COVID-19 breakout that they seem to be dealing with now as this thing moves forward. I don't know what it is about Tampa Bay. Every time somebody goes into Florida, whether it be Miami, Tampa Bay, they always seem to have a COVID breakout when they're on their way back home. But we'll see what happens. We'll keep you in touch with that. He may miss a game just like Cliff Kingsbury had to miss a game for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll see. Honestly, if Matt Nagy missed the game, probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Chicago Bears' offensive game plan. He'll still be involved, of course. Bill Lazor's been the one calling plays anyway. And I got to say, I've been very disappointed with Bill Lazor. I really have. There's no, There's no way around it. Listen, I thought for sure when Justin Fields took over and Bill Lazor took over to play calling that that was going to be the recipe that you needed for the Chicago Bears offense to reach its max potential. Whatever that may be, I sure as hell thought that was going to be a heck of a lot better than what we've been getting out of the passing game with Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney, both, both together. Even Cole Komet, I thought, might become a streamer if those things came to fruition. The only thing that's been impressive about the Chicago Bears offense at all has been the running game. And look, Khalil Herbert was great in this game. 18 carries, 100 yards. Nobody's rushed for 100 yards on Tampa Bay so far this season. So that was a a heck of a feat that he was able to do in this game. And I'll say this, while we're waiting for David Montgomery to come back, you now know no matter what the game script is, Chicago Bears will run the football. Now, Damian Williams didn't play much. He did get activated for the game, but he didn't play much in this game. Keep in mind, he didn't practice much. He wasn't activated until Saturday. And until you clear the COVID protocols, you can't be in the facility with the team. So I wasn't expecting Damian Williams to come out and do a whole heck of a lot, which is why I'm not going to take too much out of this game. I know there's a lot of talk leading into the week, especially from the beat writers of Chicago, saying Khalil Herbert had moved up the depth chart. That very well may be the case. I wouldn't be surprised that when it comes to rushing the football, Herbert will be ahead of Damian Williams, even if they're both worked in uh, in practice and worked in on the game plan. But I still have to think 
given his skill set, Damian Williams will still be the main pass catching back once he actually has a full week of practice in him and they're actually expecting him going into the game to have him. I have to think that's going to be the case more so than not. But we're only a few weeks away from the potential return of David Montgomery. The only thing we're really waiting to see is do they decide to wait until after the bye week to give it an extra game off in week 11 or otherwise he could be back as soon as week 10. So something to kind of keep in mind there if you've been riding Herbert, waiting for Damian Williams to come back, we're look, we're kind of looking at that capacity. Now, we get to the receivers, there's really just not much to talk about. I mean, Darnell Mooney, two receptions, 39 yards on five targets. Cole Komet was the most competent pass catcher. He had six targets, five receptions, 43 yards. You're still not looking to the stream of Cole Komet just because he, he hasn't given you a ceiling of any, of, any, of any level so far this season. So I don't know why you would. And then Allen Robinson, man, talk about a guy who's just out there so he won't get fined. I mean, that is the only reason Allen Robinson is out there putting his body on the line. He is just trying to hope he can get through this season without getting seriously injured. Matter of fact, honestly, if if he could pick up an ankle injury that he could milk for a few weeks, he probably would. He doesn't look like he wants to be out there at all. And he's only out there because he has to be out there. And he's hoping he can just cut ties with Chicago and go somewhere else next year. Very, very obvious that's the case. That looked like a guy who had no interest in being on the field. Two receptions, 16 yards, four targets. And it's gotten me to the point now where I think I officially, unfortunately, when it comes to Allen Robinson, I have to hit this drop. Prepare to be flushed. It's crazy to say. It's crazy to think the talent is there. But Allen Robinson, look, if you need a roster spot, and you don't have anybody else in your bench that you really want to drop or you have the a civic week in mind that you're going to want to utilize them, it ain't going to be Allen Robinson. Go ahead and drop him. When are you going to play him? And we've reached a point now where even if he has one good game, you're still not going to trust him the following week. He's going to have to put at least back-to-back performances together before you can even contemplate putting him back in the offense. And I don't know when that's going to happen because of how bad this Bears offense looks. And we've already gotten the best-case scenario of Bill Lazor being the one calling the plays. It has not seemed to matter. There's no motion. There's no scheming guys open. None of that. They're running the football effectively, and Justin Fields is playing terrible quarterback with a scheme that is not really trying to get guys open actively. There's there's nothing. Like I said, there's no motion. There's no uh, bundle formations. There's nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing at all trying to help them out. And therefore, when it comes to the Bears, the only thing I really want to have is the running game, whoever that happens to be. When it's David Montgomery, I'll play David Montgomery with confidence. Until then, I'm playing Cleo Herbert with confidence. We'll see how well Damian Williams gets worked in. He might be a guy on my full-point PPR radar. But that's it. That's all. So let's move off of this game. It's, it's, it's just a one-sided affair. Let's move to another one-sided affair because we got to get these one-sided affairs out of the way before we get to some more interesting games that happen on Sunday. We get the Arizona Cardinals versus the Houston Texans. Cardinals go to 7-0. They got a tough game this Thursday against the Green Bay Packers, although it got a little bit easier. We'll talk about that. What's going on with the Packers in just a second if you haven't heard the news earlier. And if you haven't heard the news, actually, you know, make sure you subscribe to us on social media at BillyFMDFFShow. We'll, we get those player news notifications out there for you to make sure you guys are all up to date along with our fantasy analysis so you have some idea on a 
reasonable reaction. Let's put it that way. I'm not always right. Definitely have wrong calls. Definitely have some right calls. But I at least will point you in the reasonably fantasy football direction that you need to go in, if nothing else. So with the Arizona Cardinals, Houston Texans here, 31 to 5, because the Texans actually did wind up getting a safety to kick off. It was actually looking a little precarious early on where the Texans were kind of keeping this game close. And then Arizona was like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. We're Arizona. It was a superior team. Get out of here. Kyler Murray, even though he didn't have to do too much, still winds up with 261 yards through the air, three passing touchdowns, only 10 yards rushing. Look, since he's had a little bit of an injury here, he hasn't been running as much, at least if he doesn't have to. They've been letting the running backs kind of take that over. And speaking of the running backs, while James Conner had more fantasy points because he wanted to getting the touchdown, which you know we knew going into this game, there was a very good chance he was going to get. And that's why I ranked him ahead of Chase Edmonds heading into this matchup. But the good news is that you've been waiting for Chase Edmonds to get back on track and be that half point, full point, you know, low end RB2 that he had been up until the last couple of weeks. He got back to that point. I had some hope once he came off the injury report officially on Friday that he maybe had gotten on the other side of that shoulder injury. But I still wasn't sure how much work they were going to give him because against the Houston Texans, this game going about as expected was a one-sided affair. And James Conner, pro game script for him because he's carried most of the workload in those situations. And of course, we know he's going to get the red zone work. Well, the red zone work didn't change. and We we knew that wasn't going to. But Chase Edmonds outcarries him 15 to 10. He goes 15 of 81. Of course, he maintains his receiving dominance, although it wasn't a big receiving game. Didn't need to be one catch for nine yards on three targets in this game. But I was surprised to see him out carry James Conner in this game script. So it made me feel like, okay, the Arizona Cardinals wanted to make a point to get Chase Edmonds back involved after they know he hadn't been very involved the past couple of weeks because of the shoulder. And that also lets me know that he's clearly 100% healthy because they wouldn't have bothered to use him up like that against Houston in this match when they didn't need to if they weren't confident in his health. So it's a good thing. Going into the Thursday game against Green Bay Packers, another good matchup there. Looking forward to Chase Edmonds. He had 49 snaps, uh, James Conner's 21, so more than double the snaps of James Conner in this game. They made sure he was going to get involved. So you like that moving forward. Yes, he doesn't have the touchdown ceiling. Yes, if he's ever going to score a touchdown this year, he's going to have to clearly bust one, or Conner has to suffer some sort of injury in order to have that opportunity to happen for Chase Edmonds. But he has one of the safest floors week in and week out because of his role and the up-tempo pace of this offense. So you were happy enough to be able to see that. On the flip side, what's going on with the passing game? Well, again, Kyler Murray only only completed 20 balls out of 28. Normally speaking, there's going to be a little bit more back and forth when they play against better teams. So volume here, I wouldn't read too much into it. However, if you're excited about being able to pick up Zach Ertz, and you probably picked him up before that Philadelphia Eagle game because Dallas Goddard was out with COVID. You lucked out. You have a top 10 tight end. He had five targets in this game, three receptions, 66 yards, tax on a touchdown, but he was involved. He was involved from the get-go. He actually had more routes run than Rondale Moore in this matchup, and this was his first week in the new offense. That's it, all you can ask for. You got yourself a top 10 tight end, and that doesn't happen very often at this point of the season. And then A.J. Green, three receptions, three targets, 66 yards in this matchup. They made sure they got DeAndre Hopkins involved. Seven receptions, 53 yards, a touchdown. Should have had two, 
They made sure they came back and got him one, though, later on. Kyler Murray completely just missed this guy wide open, but still gets his touchdown, still gets his revenge. Him and J.J. Watt get the revenge at the end of the day in this game. And then Christian Kirk, four receptions, 50 yards, a touchdown on five targets. Rondale Moore, two receptions, 17 yards, three targets, 16 routes run, still fourth in receivers. I still believe Rondale Moore is a stash, and I'm not going to hit the dump button as a result of that. But here's what I will say. He's only a stash if your team's in a particular position, like in first place in your league, or at least in a very good spot, second, third, maybe, where you know you're in a very good spot for the playoffs and you don't necessarily have to drop anybody. But if you need to make a roster move, it's got to be Rondale Moore. See, the problem is that A.J. Green isn't going anywhere. And because he continues to be lingered around, because they continue to use him as a starting wide receiver, and he's been more productive than I honestly thought he would be up until this point. He's at least been competent enough. He's pretty much their new version of Larry Fitzgerald. Big-bodied, physical, jump ball, veteran type of wide receiver. That's the role that he's playing. They're leaning on him in that fashion. He's not going anywhere unless he winds up getting some kind of injury as a result. I still think Rondell Moore is a stash for later on because I do, th- I do think that this offense at some point will want to open it up and even get more aggressive, more electric. However, until then, Rondell Moore is completely useless because he is the fourth receiver more times than not in this offense. And now when you add Zach Ertz into the mix, it just makes it all the more tough for him to really break out or have any kind of consistent usage that you can bank on to want to play him in your lineups. So he's not a, he's not a necessary player on your teams, especially when we talk about 10, 12 team leagues. If you're in a good position, I still think you can stash him if you want to. But if you if you need to make if pretty much if your playoffs start today, where you got to get back into position, and I know a lot of teams out there are around hovering around that 500 mark. Feel free to drop him because again, you're just not going to be able to use him for his upside until something changes in the pecking over the Arizona Cardinals. On the Houston Texans side of the ball, Davis Mills is terrible. Oh my goodness, is he garbage? Tyrod Taylor is going to practice this week. That's the good news. However, David Culley is still making a point of saying, I don't know if he can come back this week. So it sounds like he's still kind of recovering from that hamstring injury. My initial thought is kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit. Again, I'm not a doctor. All I can do is read the tea leaves of what I'm being told. I think he'll try to practice this week. They'll try to make sure he doesn't have a re-aggravation or a setback. And then maybe come week nine, we'll see Tyrod Taylor return. So I think we might have one more week that we're going to, have to suffer through with Davis Mills. And the reason we're suffering through with Davis Mills is because we want Brandon Cooks to be fantasy relevant with how he was letting it up earlier on in the season. He had the most targets. He had seven targets in this game, five receptions, but it only went for 21 yards. The pass rush was just in Davis Mills' face the whole time that all he was doing is dinking and dunking the entire game. I mean, the highest receiving total was Nico Collins at 28. And this is a game, again, it was 31 to 5. So it's game script to throw the ball. Still only threw the ball 32 times. They barely had it on offense. They couldn't get anybody else involved. I'm not worried about Brandon Cooks for long term because I know eventually we're going to get Tyrod Taylor back. So I do think Brandon Cooks will be a low-end wide receiver too moving forward. And I'm not going to move off of that necessarily just because he had a rough game here and what you're hoping would be a decent matchup, especially considering what your other options probably were. But I'm not worried long term. Uh, 
I don't know what else to break down here for the Houston Texans, to be quite frank with you. I mean, David Johnson led the way, as you would expect in this type of a game script. Seven carries, 25 yards. He had five receptions for 27 yards. If you had to play him in PPR leagues, I guess you're okay with the output because he had the five catches. But again, when it comes to the Texans, it's Brandon Cooks, or frankly, it's absolutely nothing after that. So let's move it to the Raiders and the Eagles. Look, the Raiders, two games without John Gruden, very impressive. Now, they were they had a winning record with Gruden. I'm not trying to, you know, race that or put that on the rug or anything. But these last two games that they've won, granted against teams that eh, maybe not as good, but they played very well. They have played very well. They look aggressive on offense. The defense, I talked about last week how the Cincinnati Bengals, in my book, were the most underrated NFL defense out there. I think that might be a tie. I still don't think the Raiders are better than the Bengals, but I think it might be a tie as far as which one's the most underrated defense in the NFL right now. The Raiders are a very underrated defense. They're playing very well. They're getting a good pass rush. They're playing fundamental sound defense on the back end. There's not a defense where I would be fearful of any of my star players or anything like that, but they are getting the job done. Where they're not, You're not licking your chops when you go against the play of the Las Vegas Raiders as you have in several years past leading up until this season. And they maintain that here in this game. I mean, look, Jalen Hurts, yeah, he found a way to still go over 20 fantasy points because that's just what he does. When it comes to the fourth quarter, when it comes to the second half, he'll find a way to get the fantasy points that you played him to get. That's the great thing about Jalen Hurts. It's terrible to watch. I don't want to watch anything in the first half when I have to play him, but I know he'll get the job done at the end of the day, and he does here. 18 to 34, 236 yards, two touchdowns, and tax on 61 yards on the ground to give him that base floor to go along with it. But again, 18 of 34. Jalen Hurts is killing the fantasy value of a Dallas Goddard and a Devonta Smith. Now, Goddard, his first game without Zach Ertz, completely dominated the tight ends and routes run. He had five targets in this game, three receptions, 70 yards. It was actually the high receiving total of the day. I know it's been lonely for the fans about this. I don't know how close the team is really there to doing that. I mean, well, I will say the one thing about Gardner Mitchell is he has a track record of having some success in the NFL. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. But this whole offense is built around the rushing ability of Jalen Hurts. I don't know if Nick Serini and the coaching staff is ready to change that heading into this matchup. I don't know. They might be. I don't know if they are. I definitely don't think it's going to happen this week. I don't know if it happens real soon. And the one good thing I will say is next week, Philadelphia Eagles play Detroit. So if you have Jalen Hurts, and I have him in several leagues, he was my QB7, so I was always getting him pretty much ahead of everybody because I, I had him ranked ahead of ADP. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listen, if you're still living with bladder accidents, stop. It's time to get your life back. I was just like you until I found real relief with Axonics Therapy. It's not a pill or a pad. It's a clinically proven advanced treatment. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. I think you're good for another week because I should beat the Detroit Lions, and that should buy him at least another week from there, especially if he plays well. But he is killing the fantasy value of what could be a Devonta Smith and probably will affect Dallas Goddard to some degree. Although Goddard, without Zach Ertz, will be a top 10 tight end week in and week out in my rankings without a doubt about it. Now, here's the other interesting storyline of this game. If you've been following MD Nation for any length of time, hopefully you're already ahead of the curve on this and you had picked up Kenneth Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell had been on our waiver report every single week this season. Every single one. Why? Well, one was because of the usage that he was getting in the passing game and how effective and explosive he looked with it. But two, we know Miles Sanders' history in particular. He is a injury-prone back. He's never played through a full NFL season in his career. So we knew this is a case where it could be just a matter of time. Now, I thought for a second this might be the season where he plays all 16 games because they were barely using him. But in the last two weeks, they went back and they actually started giving Miles Sanders and treating him like he was actually the starting running back by giving him the ball. Well, then this week, he picks up an ankle sprain. Now, the good news is it sounds like it's a minor-ish low ankle sprain. They're calling him week to week. My guess would be he would miss this week and he'd probably be about a 50-50 shot for week nine. And then probably by week 10, he'd be back in action as a starting running back. So we'll talk about that more in detail in tomorrow's show for the waiver wire report as far as what kind of resources you want to use because if you didn't pick up Kenneth Gainwell ahead of time. But this has been the big thing, especially this year. Especially this year. Handcuffs have been invaluable this season, I think more so than recent years too. Handcuffs have always been valuable to some degree in fantasy football, of course. But this year, in particular, when guys have gotten their opportunities, they've produced. In other years past, you'd hope they produced, but they didn't always come through for you with the extra volume. This year, it's almost been a lock that one way, hooker by crook, these handcuff running backs are providing solid fantasy value based on the volume. So I look at Kenneth Gainwell, and yes, Boston Scott did come in. He outcarried him 7-5. to five. No doubt about it. Kenneth Gainwell still played more snaps by the end of the game total, and he still was worked in way more than Boston Scott was in the receiving game. And that's the key. That's really what you want to harp on. All you really care about is Kenneth Gainwell, the lead receiving running back. I don't see why it would change after they spent the entire year allowing him to have that role. Yes, does Boston Scott have the skill set? Yeah, absolutely. So did Miles Sanders. It didn't seem to matter. It was still Kenneth Gainwell's role. And even if Boston Scott's going to out carry Kenneth Gainwell by a little bit, Gainwell will still certainly get more carries than what he was getting under Miles Sanders. So Gainwell is the guy that you're going to want to own. 
I think he comes in somewhere in that high-end RB3 territory, maybe low-end RB2 if you're talking full-point PPR leagues. But I think that's kind of where you're at on this whole scenario. And Boston Scott will also be somebody we talk about on the waiver wire report because he will get worked in, and it will probably be, I would say, a 55-45 committee overall. It might be 55-45 in favor of Boston Scott when it comes to the carries, and then 60-40 in favor of Kenneth Gamewell, if not 65-35, because he did out-target him quite a bit in this game, 7-1, and his routes run 21-12. So it might be more of a 65-35 split between the two when it comes to that. Again, just ensuring that Gamewell is going to be the guy you're going to want to own. But Boston Scott may have some value as well, especially depending upon what your situations are heading into week eight. So that's kind of how I see this breaking down moving forward. But again, we'll talk about that more when we get into the waiver wire report. On the Raiders side of the ball, their car was phenomenal. I was happy about it because he made my top 12. He was a streaming quarterback option for me. So it was one of the calls that thankfully kind of went my way. 31, 30, oh, 34, 323 yards, getting back to his 300 yards passing a game. Two touchdowns, did have the one pick. That was it. And he spread the ball around. He continues to spread the ball around. Foster Moreau came in because Darren Waller was out. I'll talk about that in a second. But he had six receptions, 60 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. Hunter Renfro had a very Hunter Renfro-y type game. Seven receptions, 58 yards on eight targets. Brian Edwards finally sees the end zone. He's been playing as the lead receiver as far as snap count goes every single week. I guess because they like him blocking more than the other two, which would make sense but he doesn't see the same routes run or the targets, normally speaking, but he's the one who winds up with the touchdown. The disappointment here was Henry Ruggs. I finally had ranked Henry Ruggs ahead of Hunter Renfro and as a wide receiver three that you could plug and play in your lineup because he has the upside and the Eagles have been beaten by the deep ball a few times this season. Comes in this game, four targets, four receptions, only 24 yards. Disappointing here, especially when you look at this box score and you see you know, Derek Carr went 31 of 34 and over 300 yards passing. But he just spread the ball out. So we'll get back to Darren Waller. He gets he gets put out, you know, late in the day, right before the four o'clock game. Was a true game time decision. Hopefully, if you're part of MD Nation, I hope for your sake you were able to move Darren Waller into an IR spot and you were able to pick up a Foster Moreau or somebody else of equal value for your lineups and were able to take advantage of that. But I was thinking to myself when this happened. This is the first time in a very long time that we've actually had somebody get ruled out, in a, especially a guy of Darren Waller's nature, to get ruled out at the 4 o'clock game that we didn't necessarily know one way or another if he was going to play or not before the 1 o'clock games kick off. I mean, think about it. A few years ago, I remember this was always a big headache heading into Sunday because if you had an injury at the 4 o'clock, you were pretty much faced with a decision like, all right, either I have a backup plan for that game or one of the games in Sunday night or Monday night, or I was going to have to choose somebody playing in the one o'clock games who might not be as good, but I know they're playing lately. The news has gotten so good. The information has gotten so good that we've been able to kind of determine before the one o'clock games kick off, even if four o'clock guys were quote unquote game time decisions and kind of get a good idea if they're going to play or not. This is the first time in a while I can think of one that we really didn't know one way or another. And he wound up being out. Hopefully you're prepared. Hopefully you're ready for it. And you're able to pick up a Foster Moreau at the very least and take advantage of that. I just thought that was kind of weird. And I thought that popped in my head because it hasn't been as big of a thing uh, in, in recent memory for me, especially the last couple of years. Josh Jacobs also picks up an injury. Good news. He says a chest injury. 
not serious. In fact, they came as far as to say already today that they expect Josh Jacobs to play in week eight. So that kind of takes off the idea of, you know, Kenyon going hard after Kenyon Drake, if he's available on your waiver wire or anything like that. Here's what I will say. Josh Jacobs went down. Unlike when Gruden was coaching, I do think Kenyon Drake is actually the handcuff now. Imagine that. The guy they paid a buttload of money to to back up Josh Jacobs is actually going to be his handcuff and the lead ball carrier if Josh Jacobs goes down. So now, at least, while I don't think one Jacobs is healthy, Kenyon Drake is still somebody involved enough to be, let's say, a flex type of back, I do think he does have, at the very least, the handcuff value that you would expect somebody in his stature to have. I do think that is the case. Jalen Richard played a little bit in this game, but he was able to come away with 14 carries for 69, Kenyon Drake, that is, 14 carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Tax on, you know, three receptions for 10 yards and three targets in this matchup. Way outplayed Jalen Richard. Uh, and, and Peyton Barber, again, was inactive. Now, there's conflicting reports. Some say he was inactive because of a toe. Some say he was, inact- he was a healthy inactive. I already said this before. With John Gruden gone, I don't think Peyton Barber's a thing. I don't think the rest of the staff was on the Gruden level where they wanted Barber to play ahead of Kenyon Drake. I don't think that's a thing moving forward. So I don't I don't have to worry about that. I don't feel like we have to worry about that. Rashard did play 16 snaps, had 10 routes run, actually one more route run than Kenyon Drake. But Drake, of course, dominating the carries, only one less target than Rashard did in this matchup. I think that's what we just that's what we would see if Josh Jacobs were to miss extended time ever. Moving forward, Drake would be the main lead back. You have to figure Richard will get involved in the passing downs, but Drake will still get some of his share as well. Hell, even Josh Jacobs had three targets in this game when he was leading the way. They were getting him involved in the offense. That part, if I'm a Josh Jacobs owner, yeah, it it really stinks that he got injured in this game, especially because he had a touchdown early on. It was looking like Josh Jacobs might have been on his way to a big fantasy performance against the Eagles who have been susceptible to the running games lately. But I think the big thing I'd be excited about is that even though he left early on in this game, he already had three catches on three targets for 39 yards. They're allowing him to get involved in the passing game. So Jacobs might not be strictly, you know, rushing yards and touchdown or bust. He might actually get more involved in the passing game now with John Gruden out because it's two weeks in a row where we've seen Josh Jacobs get involved. He had five targets last week. Don't forget. So I would be excited about that if I was a Josh Jacobs owner moving forward. All right, but what I want to do now, though, I want to take a quick break, get a word from our sponsor. We come back on the other side. We have more games to recap, more NFL news to talk about. So everybody, please stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we'll be back with you right after this. When it comes to gambling, you always want to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. That's why I always bet with my bookie. At my bookie, you can bet on all your favorite sports with exclusive promotions, contests, and more ways to find your winning bet. Right now, when you make your first deposit with my bookie, you'll instantly receive double your first deposit. It's easy. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, and use my promo code MDFANTASY, and my bookie will double your first deposit instantly up to $1,000. How's that for fast money? Use your extra funds to bet on this week's biggest games, including the battle between the Chiefs and the Titans, where airmail offense takes on Smash Mouth football. Look for the score to run up quickly and bet the over. This promotion is only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Head to mybookie.ag and use my promo code MDFANTASY and secure double your deposits 
bonus today. That's promo code MDFANTASY so you can double your funds to double your winnings to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back in MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show and or watching the stream on social media at Show, And of course, subscribe and get the opportunity to do so to our MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Go and check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Spreaker, wherever you like to go. And we'll be back from Tuesday. We'll be back from Tuesday two times. Once live... Streaming live at 10 a.m. for the primetime recap and the waiver wire report. And then we'll be back again from 7 to 8 on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. You can always chime in to the show when it's streaming live. I know a lot of people are aware right now. You know, we, we use StreamYard here like a lot of other people do. And the issues that StreamYard and Twitter are having at the moment as far as being able to read and see your comments and everything like that. But if you go to other social media platforms at belly up MDF of show, they're always streaming live to as well. You can comment in there. I can see it through that. So if you have a question, a comment, anything at all, don't be afraid to go ahead and chat us up in there. And that's how we do the mailbag segment too, by the way, when we do the preview shows, guys hit us up in our DMS, any question you ask us, we'll answer. We're going to help you out. And I'll pick out a few of my favorite ones to give you guys a shout-out and put on the show. All about the engagement and the fans here with the great audience of MD Nation. And I mean, I mean that from the bottom of my heart because you guys are the ones that I do this for to begin with. All right, so we got finished talking about the Raiders and the Eagles before the break. So now we can go ahead and dive into the Rams and the Detroit Lions. Shopify presents Cool Sheets from AHA to... Lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. <laughs> Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com free 22. Shopify.com free 22. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Game wound up being a little bit. I mean, the Lions technically, hey, they covered because I believe this is a 16, six, I believe this is a 16 and a half spread. So technically, the Lions were able to backdoor in garbage time, cover it up only 28 to 19. You know, fantasy wise, you got, you got what you wanted. Matthew Stafford, 334 yards, three touchdowns in this game. Cooper Cup, 
Cooper Cup, 10 receptions, 156 yards, two touchdowns. I swear he scores two touchdowns every single week on 13 targets. Listen, we're facing a real dilemma as a ranker here. Cooper Cup, I might not be able to go into a week and not make him the number one wide receiver. It's still a toss-up between him and Devontae Adams just because the, the target share of Devontae Adams is obscene. Although, you know, obviously I'm trying to wait till the Green Bay game to talk about it more, but obviously Devontae Adams may not play this Thursday because he tested positive for COVID-19. Now he is vaccinated, but you still have to test negative back-to-back days before that game on Thursday. Highly unlikely on a short week. Highly unlikely. He may have had a ch- more of a chance if it was a Sunday game this week, and they, they already put him on the COVID-19 list on a Monday. Highly unlikely, being that he tested positive, that he would, in fact, be able to get two negative tests in before Thursday. Highly unlikely. The only, I think the only way it really would happen is if the positive that he got today or yesterday or whenever it came back wound up being a false positive. Otherwise, I don't see that wind up being the case. But any week where everyone's healthy, I really think Cooper Cup might have to be the number one guy, or at least in conversation with Devontae Adams. At the very least, number two, taking out Tyreek Hill. And we, we will get to that game in a little bit later on the show and talk about the Kansas City Chiefs uh, at length for a little bit in, in this in this one, because we're going to need to. Outside of Cooper Cup, Robert Woods was, was serviceable. Six receptions, 70 yards, six targets. I had him as my number 21 receiver, so I had him as a low-end wide receiver too. He kind of gave you that sort of stat line here today. Uh, look, if you have Robert Woods, you just have to accept what he is. He's the number two to Cooper Cup. They might have games once in a while where they make a point to get him the ball. But for the most part, I feel like he's a guy who's matchup dependent and you play him if you don't have a better option. He's a spot starter. He's a rotational starter on your team. He's not a must start on your team. He doesn't have the upside this year. He just doesn't. Cooper Cup is so dominant with Matthew Stafford in town that it's just it's just left Robert Woods out, unfortunately. And I, I really I don't know if that changes barring some sort of injury to the Cooper Cup. I don't I don't know that it does. Not on a consistent basis anyway. Like I said, once in a while they make make a point to get Robert Woods more involved a particular week, but I don't know if it's on a consistent basis at all. I really don't. Stafford just doesn't look for him the same way he looks for Cup. That, that much is clear. The only person you can really be disappointed by fantasy wise is Darrell Henderson. And I, I mean, I was, I had him ranked my RB three. Obviously that doesn't going to, that's not going to come to fruition. 15 carries, 45 yards, three receptions, 19 yards. I mean, not the game you're expecting when you're playing as Detroit Lions. We've been so horrendous against running backs and running games. He only had three yards of carry. That's a guy who's been very, very good so far this season. So it was just kind of odd to see, not, not see Darrell Henderson go off. And I know I was touting him up heading into the week. Cause I was like, look, He's he looks like he's a guy who's on the verge of exploding one of these weeks. What better week to do it than Detroit Lions? I stand by my process. I stand by my logic. It just didn't come to fruition. The results it will eventually. Obviously, I would hope long term wise, you guys are not concerned about Darrell Henderson. And then Tyler Higby he gets five receptions, forty six yards. Not a gaudy stat line, no. But eight targets for a tight end, you'll take it. One thing that did catch my eye. Van Jefferson. Now, stat line-wise, yeah, he had four receptions, 43 yards. He picks up the touchdown on seven targets. But it was more the usage. He was only one less route run than Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And this was a game in which they controlled, were up for majority of it. 
There's never the panic button. It wasn't really back and forth. The score's a lot closer than what this game actually was. And Van Jefferson was right there. I mean, they both had 63 snaps. He had 61. They both had 41 routes run. He had 40. If this keeps up, given this offense and the volume that it has and the up-tempo place that it plays by, Van Jefferson's going to start to sneak into that high-end wide receiver four, wide receiver three territory. We're going to be talking about Van Jefferson as a flex play more times than not, I think, moving forward. If this trend continues, he's been playing pretty well when he's been out there. Clearly, Deshaun Jackson's there to take a bomb to once in a while, and that's it. He's not really there to be the third receiver. So Van Jefferson continues to play more and more. They have more trust in him. Sooner rather than later, he may become a fantasy asset, and he's a big reason why, too, that Robert Woods, I just don't think, has the upside to get this thing turned around because he's also getting targets taken away by Van Jefferson now as well. It's not just a two-man show between Cup and Robert Woods, unfortunately. So Van Jefferson kind of playing into that factor as we move forward. But we'll continue to keep our eyes on this. On the Lions side of the ball, there's not really much new to break down. We know Jared Goff is terrible. We know DeAndre Swift is great in the passing game. He's I keep he's the baby Alvin Kamara. That's what he is. He's a baby Alvin Kamara. Had 13 carries in this game for 48 yards. Walked away with eight receptions, 96 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. Had the nice 63-yarder off the screen pass. And that's all you want. As long as he continues to dominate in receiving, and he does. Jamal Williams is not involved in the receiving game at all and hasn't been for weeks now. You'll be fine. Yeah, Williams got his 12 carries. Fine, that's going to happen. DeAndre Swift is still playing more than double the snaps with Jamal Williams, so I'm not worried about utilization moving forward. He's explosive, and the Lions will always be playing from behind. They're 0-7. They'll always be playing from behind. So Swift will always have to be the one to get involved, and he's the best playmaker they have. He's the best offensive weapon they have, and they're going to need him to make plays. So Swift's going to be an RB1 every single week. And you know what? The Williams thing is a blessing in disguise. Some people may look at it as it's limiting and capping his ceiling on a week-to-week basis because he's not getting the extra carries that maybe he could. You don't want him to. Not in this situation, not on this team. And not DeAndre Swift. He's the type of guy where I think if you started giving him, you know, 16-plus carries every single game along with six-plus targets, six-plus receptions, yeah, you'd like those numbers as a DeAndre Swift owner, except for I think he would get injured. It would be more likely he'd get injured or flame out towards the end of the year. He doesn't have the big body build to take on that kind of a punishment every single week. Could he do it here and there? Yeah, sure. But every single week, no. So Jamal Williams getting his 12 carries in a game and and taking a little bit of the wear and tear off of DeAndre Swift might actually be a blessing in disguise because you will keep Swift in your starting lineups every single week and not have to worry about injury as much, or at least not as be as much of a risk for it. So I do think actually long run wise for fantasy, it's good to have Jamal Williams in there. Now Williams himself, he, he continues to find ways to fall into my RB three territory when I, when I do my rankings, but really he's gotten the point where if you're decimated by injury, if you're decimated by bye weeks in a particular week, and you just need a guy with a pulse who can get you five to six points and maybe fall into the end zone to get you double digit points, possibility that's what jamal williams is otherwise you're not playing williams if you have other options to be able to turn to am i dropping him i don't know if i'm dropping him because getting running backs who have 12 carries isn't really that easy to come by nowadays so i don't know if i'm dropping him it depends on what situation i'm in but he is only a guy i want my starting lineup if i really have no other option that's kind of how i look at him 
the only the, uh, I'll mention TJ Hawkinson, six receptions, 48 yards, nine targets. Yeah, not the gaudy fantasy day you want out of a TJ Hawkinson, but the utilization is there that you want, so you're not going to worry about that. The one thing I will say, this is one call that I got wrong. I ranked St. Brown as my 42nd wide receiver. I thought he was somebody you could play in the flex. I thought he was somebody who had a chance to be the number one pass catcher or number one, at least wide receiver anyway, for the Detroit Lions in this game. I did mention that of the receivers, Brown would be the one to get the Jalen Ramsey coverage. But I thought ultimately this game would be so out of whack that the Rams would play prevent defense for most of it and there would be enough volume that it wouldn't really matter. That didn't really wind up happening. That was a bad call by me. But out of it, it did have my eyes on Khalif Raymond. I was excited about Khalif Raymond. He's largely been a special teams dreaming wide receiver. He has some speed. He breaks a big one every once in a while. But now we have two weeks in a row of consistent usage. He's got six receptions on eight targets for 115 yards in this game. So really the only thing he didn't do is score. He got two weeks of this where he's been the lead receiver, essentially. Now, we have not heard much on the Tyrell Williams front. So he might still be missing another week. We haven't heard much at all on that front. He hasn't been activated. He hasn't really been at practice. So it stands the reason that there still may be at least a couple more weeks of Khalif Raymond potentially being the lead guy. And because he does have the speed, he does have the big play ability in his range of outcomes in his repertoire any given week. So I do think Raymond might actually wind up making my waiver wire report. I'm not going to feel great about it. We'll talk about more of that tomorrow. But I do think he's going to have to be mentioned in that now we have a trend heading in that direction. And St. Brown just didn't get involved at all in this game. Let's move to the Patriots and the Jets. 54 to 13, the biggest, the biggest upside of the day. Whew. Or the big or the biggest, uh, the most lopsided win of the day, I should say. Excuse me. 54 to 13. I mean, look, the Jets are terrible. Zach Wilson, unfortunately, he picks up an injury. PCL. He's going to be out, they say, two to four weeks. They made a trade today to get Joe Flacco, which, I mean, if you have Corey Davis or you have James Crowder or you have Michael Carter, it's probably music to your ears, quite frankly, because at least with Joe Flacco coming back into the building for New York, he keeps those guys serviceable. He doesn't give them more upside, but if it was going to go the way it was looking with Mike White, I don't know they would have any fantasy value no matter what the matchup, no matter what the volume was going to be. So with Joe Flacco, at least in the building, you can walk away like, okay, you guys are at least have a serviceable, you know, chance here. So if you're leaning on Corey Davis to be your wide receiver three or Crowder to be your full point PPR flex play or Michael Carter to be somebody as a, as a flex play or a, or a bi-week fill-in, I think you can still play them as such without feeling like you have to scurry for another option in those lower end areas. I think he at least maintains their fantasy value enough in the same range that Zach Wilson did. So that, I, that's the good news as far as that goes. Michael Carter fans, 11 carries, 37 yards, and he also was the big receiver of the day. Eight receptions, 67 yards on nine targets. I don't know if that's really sustainable, for Michael Carter, but the important thing is this: no Tevin Coleman in this game, and while Ty Johnson himself, it was, I mean, it was the running backs coming out of the backfield, pretty much just a whole passing game. But Ty Johnson himself, six receptions, sixty-five yards, and seven targets. He still out, he still outran Ty Johnson. He had more routes run. He, had, he was still more involved. He continues to take on more and more of the lead back 
duties. So just by pure volume and the fact that he can catch the ball, he's somebody who can be an RB3, again, by week fill-in. He doesn't have great upside because the Jets are so terrible, but he can be a serviceable player to help fill in some plugs as we move through these bye weeks or for injury, whatever the case may be. But you can trust the volume. He's been trending in that direction now for a while, and it seems to be increasing more and more and more. So that's that's something positive for the Jets from a fantasy standpoint. Jamison Crowder, six targets, four receptions, 34 yards. Corey Davis was able to get a score in this game, four receptions, 47 yards on six targets himself. Again, you only want to play these guys in really good matchups, and if you only absolutely need to, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. But again, because Joe Flacco is there, they at least have some value. I'll mention Elijah Moore because he got actually got into the end zone in this game. And technically on paper, he had six targets, but really continues to just be a non-factor. This Jets offense is just so terrible. On the flip side, the Patriots, Mac Jones goes over 300 yards. He had two receiving, uh, two passing touchdowns, excuse me, in this ball game. One going to Brandon Bolden and the other one going to Nelson Aguilar. Uh, or I'm sorry, the other one going to Hunter Henry. Nelson Aguilar had a touchdown on a trick play by Kendrick Bourne, which was, it was a nice little play here. And of course, Jacoby Myers, once again, did not score. Myers' effect in this game was a little bit disappointing. He was tied with Brandon Bolden for the most targets on the team at seven, five receptions, 44 yards. But you were kind of hoping you'd have a higher floor out of him against the New York Jets. You're thinking maybe this is the game he could actually wind up scoring. Look, Myers still a volume-based wide receiver three week in and week out. I'm still not interested in the other pass catchers. And the surprise of this game, of course, was Ramondre Stevenson being a healthy scratch. I don't know. Everything had been pointing in the arrow of Ramondre Stevenson starting to maybe take over Brandon Bolden last week, which would be better because he's more talented. I don't know what happened. I don't know if something happened in practice. I don't know if this is just the Patriots and Josh McDaniels, you know, screwing with us fantasy managers as they like to do and have a history of doing. I don't know. But Brandon Bolton comes and rolls up in here, goes six receptions for 79 yards and a touchdown in the receiving game. Unbelievable. So the whole Ramondre Stevenson becoming a thing. Yeah, no, not at all. At least not as much as you can trust it heading into next week anyway. And I, look, I'll put this out there right now. I'm not going to trust Brandon Bolton as the main pass catcher next week either because we've seen that go back and forth too. So outside of Damien Harris being the lead ball carrier, there's still nothing else to trust on a week-to-week basis coming out of New England Patriots backfield. 
what else is new, right? Just when you start to think you figured it out, just when you start to think you have, you're seeing a trend in a certain direction, Patriots are like, yeah, we're going to throw you a curveball. We're going to continue to play the guy who's much older, much slower, and has no future with our team rather than our rookie who has all the skill sets that we could ever want. Nah, we're going to play that guy. It's maddening. It's, it really is. Harris, he was my RB12 on the week. He came through as an RB1, 14 carries, 106 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Yes, J.J. Taylor also had two rushing touchdowns in this game. J.J. Taylor is a footnote, nothing fantasy relevant moving forward in any capacity. We'll mention the tight ends. Janu Smith, he picked up. They're calling it an AC joint sprain, but they're pretty confident he's going to play in week eight. That's something to watch. Look, I, again, this is the Patriots, so once you have them figured out, you don't. But going into this matchup, it was very, very clear they had a particular game plan in place for Janu Smith to get the ball. Because he had five targets right off the bat. Two receptions, 52 yards. He had a carry for five yards. Like, I don't know if they finally heard enough from the media, like saying, why the hell did you bring in Janu Smith just to block? But they clearly came out this week with a game plan to get him involved. Now, for the sake of my rankings, him getting injured and allowing Hunter Henry to then take over completely saved me because I had Hunter Henry as a top 12 tight end. and Two catches, 23 yards, but... He gets the touchdown, so he wasn't completely fantasy irrelevant. Once again, finding a way here. But that's something to watch. If they're going to now make the point, like, okay, we got to get Janu Smith more involved. He's one of our better playmakers. If that continues, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Hunter Henry may be trending in the wrong direction, and Janu Smith may be heading back towards where Henry is right now, which is in that top-end, tight-end, two-streaming territory, if this continues to happen. Again, the AC joint sprain, it's from what I understand, it sounds like they expect him to come back in week eight. So just something to watch that popped out to me during that game. If you happen to miss it, I know, like I said, once you have the Patriots figured out, you don't let's get in to the giants Carolina game. This one was kind of brutal too. <laughs> so very unexpected. Uh, Chris and I both were on the Carolina Panthers betting them in this game. The giants were coming in this game completely depleted. I mean, no Kenny Galladay. No Saquon Barkley, no Sterling Shepard. He picked up a hamstring injury. You still really weren't sure about Darius Slayton heading into this matchup. You weren't completely sure about where Evan Ingram's health was. You knew he was going to be active, but you didn't know exactly what his health was going to be heading into the weekend either. The defense has been awful. And then what happens? Carolina goes in there, and it's 25-3 to in favor of the New York Giants. And Sam Darnold, what really happened to Carolina Panthers, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold now has three really bad games in a row to combat the three good games he had earlier on in the season. Pretty much without Christian McCaffrey, Sam Darnold has been awful. That's been the correlation. If he has McCaffrey back there, if he has a safety blanket back there, he's fine. He's competent. He has a safety blanket. He could check down to when he gets, you know, sees ghosts or gets in trouble, whatever the case may be. And he can keep the chains moving because it's Christian McCaffrey. Without him, more weight gets put on his shoulders to actually make plays to the wide receivers. That ain't happening. Gets benched in this game. Now, Matt Rule came out right away and said, you know, yeah, Sam Darnold's going to be a starter next week. And yeah, because P.J. Walker's not good. I, and I don't know why they continue to screw around with him as a backup quarterback. He's not a guy I would even trust to come in to try to win me a game if I needed him to start because of injury one week. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. But Sam Darnold will start next week, but man, oh man, 16 to 25, only 111 yards. They had the interception in this game. 
just nothing happening offensively at all for the Panthers. Hubbard, Hubbard was a big disappointing call for me. I had him in my top 10 of running backs. Ugh. 12 carries, 28 yards, 2.3 yards to carry against the Giants, who have no run defense anymore. And Hubbard, who had looked pretty good up until this point. Now, here's something I do want to take note of, sticking with the Hubbard, Roy Streeman thing going on. One of my, one of my things that I said going into that game that I was going to be watching for is the usage between Hubbard and Royce Freeman. As Christian McCaffrey continues to miss time, are we going to see Hubbard do what he did a couple of weeks ago, which was pretty much operate as the lead back in all, you know, all three downs, all phases of the offense, or were we going to continue to see Royce Freeman work in as the, you know, the guy who's really good at pass blocking and have him wind up being like the third down back as a result of that. Well, if you just look at the box score and you didn't watch, the, I, I mean, I did watch a good point of, portion of this game anyway, so I kind of already knew this going in. But if you just look at the box score because you didn't see this game, you'll see Hubbard had five targets, four receptions, 28 yards. You'll also see that Royce Freeman only had two targets, one reception for one yard. So like, okay, Hubbard led the way. So that's the indication that we were looking for. Eh, not so fast. When we look a little bit deeper, unfortunately, because this isn't what I want to see. I want to see Hubbard involved in the passing game because he's much more explosive and that would give him a big boost to his floor. But what we see is Royce Freeman, 21 routes run to Hubbard's 18. So while the targets heavily favored Hubbard, the usage actually favored Royce Freeman, indicating he was out there more and he was out there more on third downs, if nothing else, to be a pass protector for Sam Darnold. I mean, that's pretty much what it boils down to. That's the one thing, and that part I'm not surprised by. You know, Hubbard's not a good pass-blocking running back, and I talk about this all the time with rookie running backs. If you're not good at pass-blocking, you don't get as many opportunities to catch the ball. Now, Royce Freeman's as boring as they get, and outside of DJ Moore right now, there's not many playmakers making things happen for the Carolina Panthers, so that's why you kind of want Hubbard to be out there a little bit more. But that doesn't seem to be coming to fruition. Now, that doesn't mean Hubbard can't catch the ball on first and second down most of the time, and we'll expect more even game scripts than what happened in this game, especially in that kind of a matchup. But you still have to look out. Royce Freeman is going to apparently get his in the receiving game. Now, the snaps were pretty even, too, 34-29. That had more to do with the game script of this game than I think what actually winds up happening. I would expect Hubbard to more than double Royce Freeman's snaps more times than not, or at least in more neutral-type game scripts uh, moving forward. So I'm not too worried about that aspect. McCaffrey's still going to be on IR. Continue to play Hubbard as McCaffrey is on the IR. He's still been better than not. He's getting the usage. Continue to play him with confidence. I wouldn't come off of that. DJ Moore manages to be serviceable in this game. Six receptions, 73 yards, 10 targets. And the same old, same old for Robbie Anderson. Nine targets. You like that? Except for the three receptions for 14 yards. That's the problem. That's what we continue to run into with Robbie Anderson because there's just there is no chemistry between him and Sam Darnold, none whatsoever, and that's that's the issue. Now, look, DJ Moore, is he being the wide receiver one that you want him to be over the past few weeks? No, he's not, but he's playing really well when he's out there when he's getting the ball in his hands. The volume will still continue to be there. I'm not worried about DJ Moore. It, it, worst case scenario, because Sam Darnold is going back to being Sam Darnold, regardless of the weapons, regardless of the coaching staff around him. Worst case scenario, he's still a high-end wide receiver too, with wide receiver one upside any given week. Worst case scenario. So I don't think you have to be too worried about 
that when it comes with DJ Moore. I wouldn't be looking to sell him off for pennies on the dollar, certainly. If you think you can get him, buy him low, go ahead. But I'll say this, the last two weeks, we've kind of seen his floor, and his floor has still been pretty decent. So I don't know how low you're really going to be able to get DJ Moore for moving forward. And on the Giants side of the ball, look, I mean, Daniel Jones' stat line's not great here, 23 of 33, 203 yards, a touchdown. But considering what he had to throw the ball to, it's a little impressive in some ways, especially against Carolina defense. That's been very good this season. As we expected, Darius Slayton wound up being the high target man on the day, five receptions, 63 yards. But Evan Ingram got involved finally. Six receptions, 44 yards, eight targets. Do me a favor. Don't read into this. Don't read into this at all. This is the first time we've seen Evan Ingram even be involved, and that's because nobody else was left besides Darius Slayton at this point. That's why he was involved. The second Kenny Galladay and or Sterling Shepard come back and or Kadarius Toney and or Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram goes back to being completely irrelevant. So don't read into this too much when it comes to Evan Ingram. Please, please don't. Dante Pettis winds up scoring. I had gotten some information that Colin Johnson was expected to be the other starting receiver. That wasn't the case. It was Dante Pettis all the way. Five receptions, 39 yards, touchdown on five targets. Look, as long as Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram are there, I'm not going to be picking up Dante Pettis as a volume, sneaky stash, you know, spot start play at all. We got to see exactly where Sterling Shepard's at, though. You know, it's a hamstring injury that he re-aggravated. We'd say there's a pretty good chance that he will maybe miss this game, too, and coming up in week eight. Kenny Galladay's still trying to work his way back. And a hyperextended knee. Didn't practice. He didn't play. We'll see if he can get back this week or not. That's going to be 50-50. This is also the week that we were more hopeful for that Saquon Barkley may be able to come back from his low ankle sprain. We knew the first two weeks probably wasn't going to happen. This is the week. This would be the week that he they would want him to come back because this would be the week as to why they didn't put him on the IR because they were thinking he has a pretty good shot to come back. So I would have some hope for Saquon Barkley of all the giant players that you're hoping that return uh, maybe having a chance. We'll watch this, obviously, throughout the week. Follow us on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow. In the meantime, though, I think you have to continue to play Devontae Booker if Saquon can't go. It ain't pretty. He's, it's terrible to watch, but 14 carries, 51 yards, and he was able to tackle on a touchdown. And while he only had two receptions for 15 yards on three targets, he's still the main pass-catching back. He's still the three-down guy. Now, here's one thing I want to mention. Elijah Penny, you look at the box score. Elijah Penny had nine carries in this game, only for 24 yards, but he had nine carries compared to Devontae Booker's 14. Before you start to think, oh, no, this is going to be a committee now between Booker and Elijah Penny if Saquon Barkley's out, don't worry about it. When this game was well in hand late into the fourth quarter, that's when Penny started getting some carries here and there. It was a couple fourth down, third and short situations, stuff like that. This is not, you go back and watch that game, you look at the usage reports, this is not a situation where I'm worried about this trending into a committee moving forward if Saquon Barkley continues to miss time. All right. Because look, if it did, then Booker no longer has fantasy value because you're not playing him out there because he's good. You're only playing him out there because he's getting, you know, 15 plus touches in the game. And as a running back, you're automatically going to have some kind of fantasy value just based off of that. So, yeah, if he starts to lose volume, we'll worry. He didn't lose it in this game. It was to expect a game script. I wouldn't expect the Giants to be in too many game scripts like this, the way that team is constituted moving forward. We'll see if they're able to get some people back or not. 
I want to take another quick break, get another word in from one of our sponsors. When we come back on the other side, we'll finish up recapping the Week 7 Sunday afternoon games and all the fantasy value going forward off of those games. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back right after this. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. It's football season, baby, and you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. It's three and out the window with all the other hair trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. As the world is starting to open, the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are smooth like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back in MD Nation to the show. You are listening and are watching the MD's fantasy football show streaming to you live on social media at Billy Up MDFF Show. And of course, subscribe to the MD's fantasy football show YouTube channel when you get the opportunity to do so. Catch us on your favorite pod streaming app after the show, whether it's iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, wherever. Catch us back tomorrow at 10 a.m. on social media and on YouTube. We'll be talking about the Sunday night, Monday night recap along with the waiver wire report. And then we'll be back on from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, going through the recap of the Sunday afternoon week seven games as we try to, you know, make sense of it all as we move forward. Let's talk about the Falcons Dolphins game. One of the better games of the week, actually. Back and forth matchup actually went four quarters here, 30 to 28. The Falcons wind up being victorious. Believe it or not, the Falcons are 500. That's really weird to say, considering the talent or lack thereof they have to seem on this team and the way they started it off this season. They're a 500 ball club. What's also weird to say, considering their talent and what their aspirations were at the start of the year, the Dolphins are a one in six ball club. Which I think is a big reason why we've had this Deshaun Watson rumors really get amplified, right? And look, I know there's a lot of people talking about how they think there's actually a good chance now that Deshaun Watson gets traded November 2nd or by November 2nd, which is the trade deadline. I don't know. I still have a hard time believing there's a team out there who's willing to pay the price that it would take to get Deshaun Watson before finding out what the long-term legal ramifications that he's facing are going to be. I have a hard time believing that. Not to say that it can't happen or that it won't happen. I just have a hard time believing that. Now, on the flip side of that, though, there's been a lot of talk about, okay, well, what happens if Deshaun Watson does get traded? Does he get put on the commissioner exempt list? Will he get suspended? And my answer to that is no. Look, if you follow the pattern of the NFL, especially of late, 
when it comes to these type of situations, they are letting the legal system play out first before they make a ruling one way or another. It used to be, especially after the Ray Rice stuff all happened, soon after that, they were trying to be proactive and actually get ahead of the legal system. Now it's going to bounce back the other way. They're letting the legal system do their thing first, and then they're going to kind of piggyback off of that with their own investigation after the fact. Well, keep in mind, his legal case is not going to be resolved, at least as of now, until February, well after the season's over. So if the Miami Dolphins were to get Deshaun Watson, or anybody for that matter, I do not believe he would be suspended or be placed on the commissioner-exempt list. Now, having said that, let's say Watson does get traded this week. He wouldn't suddenly then be a play for week eight. Okay, it would take a little bit of time. It'd be a little unrealistic to think, oh, Deshaun Watson switching teams, switching, you know, play calls and terminology. He's going to play in a week. I doubt that would happen. But we're going to talk about that more tomorrow because I am going to talk about Deshaun Watson on the waiver wire report and everything that kind of gets included in that. So make sure you tune in then because I'll go into more detail about my thoughts on what to do about Watson when it comes to a fantasy football approach as it stands today. For now. Let's talk about the players who did actually play in this game between the Dolphins and the Atlanta Falcons. Tua Tagalavoa. Hey, he was a, a streaming quarterback for me. I played in my DFS. Now, my DFS lineup didn't do as well as I would hope, but Tua was not the reason that they didn't do as well as I hoped. 32 of 40, 291 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. This has been the really nice thing about Tua Tagalavoa. He's going to have a very, very nice fantasy floor. He is. Because the Dolphins don't run the football. They just don't. Whether they got three, they got two, they got one, doesn't matter. They don't run the football. They're passing it all the time. And because the defense hasn't been nearly as good as it was supposed to be, a lot of it banged up, but still, even when they've been healthy, they were healthier this game. They didn't play very well. They have to find themselves in these game scripts where they're coming back from behind. So if two is going to have this volume, he's going to have a very nice fantasy floor. So you can continue to stream him, especially in these plus matchups they're going to be getting over the next few weeks. So that's the good news from a fantasy perspective on Tua Tagalavoa. He also tacked on 29 yards on the ground. He does have some floor. He will tack on a few rushing yards here and there to kind of boost the whole thing. Let's talk about the running game itself, though. Malcolm Brown got the start, winds up getting injured, is already on the IR. So we know at least for the next three weeks, Malcolm Brown's out. He's gone. So, if you've been holding on to Miles Gaskin up until this point, suffered through all the ridiculousness and the, I'm inevitably the bad plays, the bus plays that he's had for you up until this point, and you still held on to him and you didn't drop him, you're actually about to get rewarded for that. Because now with Malcolm Brown out of the way, it gets consolidated down to Miles Gaskin and Savant Ahmed. Now, in this matchup, Gaskin led the way. He had 15 carries and Stephon Ahmed, seven. And of course, he's going to lead the way in the passing attack as well. Four receptions, 10 yards, a receiving touchdown on four targets. Savant Ahmed, two targets, two receptions, 26 yards. This is the split you want to have. If you have Miles Gaskin, this is the split you want because this is a split between those two that will make Miles Gaskin a low-end RB2 again. At the very worst, a flex play, but probably more likely a low-end RB2 given his ability in the receiving game and how much this team is going to throw the ball. So we'll have to see. I am a little bit hesitant to say I'm fully 100% confident that it's definitely going to break down that way, 
Why? Well, we've seen the Dolphins do mental things when it comes to the running backfield. But at least now, it's just Gaskin and Ahmed. They can't throw that third guy in there, which has really been the killer this entire time, especially when it comes to Malcolm Brown, because I don't know why, but they feel the need to play Malcolm Brown in almost any given situation. I mean, he had to start today, which was ridiculous in its own in his own right. When he comes back, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Maybe when he's about to come back, Miles Gaskin will be a sell-high candidate. But for now, I think you're about to be rewarded for having kept loyal to Miles Gaskin and really bless your soul if you did. Seriously, bless your soul if you did. And I ranked him at RB28, and I felt so gross about it. So he came through ultimately for the rankings, probably going to finish a little bit higher than that. But this is how this team's going to break down. So that's how we expect it in the backfield moving forward. On the receiving game, Devontae Parker, once again, was not able to suit up in this game. I kind of think he's getting closer, though. He's practiced at least in a limited capacity the past couple of weeks. He's been a game-time decision the past couple of weeks. I kind of think he's getting close to coming back. But for now... The continuing trend with nobody else around, just Waddle and Mike Isecki, is that you play both of these guys, and you'll love them. Mike Isecki, seven receptions, 85 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. As a tight end, he's been phenomenal. Why? Because he's been lining up as an outside wide receiver, not a tight end. But, hey, you know what? Whatever. He's listed as a tight end, and he's getting Kyle Pitts-like usage. And he has a good athletic skill set when used in that capacity. Hey, hats off to him. Great. Awesome. Keep playing him as a top eight tight end as long as this continues to happen. I am still a little bit concerned what happens when Devontae Parker and Will Fuller come back because when they come back, well, he ain't going to play as an outside wide receiver anymore. He's going to go back to being an actual tight end. And I don't think it goes back to what it was in week one because I think Mike Isicki's been too good. But remember back in week one, and we, Will Fuller was you know on the field then, but Tua Tagovailoa is out there, and you had Parker, you had Waddle, you had some healthy options. Well, Gasicki didn't play as much because he's not playing the outside receiver spot. He's not a good blocking tight end. So Durham Smythe was playing over him. Now, again, I don't think they're going to go back to that because this team is throwing the ball so much. And Mike Gasicki has been too good to just go back to being completely irrelevant. But I do think Mike Gasicki is a sell-high candidate because Parker and Will Fuller are going to come back at some point this season. Now, Fuller, you know, from what we hear, he's he's on the IR. He would be eligible to come off this week. Flores has already kind of put the kibosh on that. It's not going to happen this week. But he would be, he's going to be eligible. He's going to come back eventually. Eventually this year, he'll be back. So when that happens, automatically, obviously, the target volume for Mike Gusecki goes way down. And he's not going to be able to play in the position that's made him successful up until this point either. And you have to question how much are they going to allow him to play that in-line tight end because the offensive line is so bad that they need that extra blocker at tight end. For now, it's been working out because Gusecki's not really playing tight end. But what happens when he does? So instead of running that risk, if you could package a Mike Gusecki to get you know something with Travis Kelsey because people have been kind of disappointed about Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews or the one I really think you could get right now, especially after the past few weeks and then not playing this week because the injury is Darren Waller. I really think you can buy low with Mike Isecki on a Darren Waller right now. I really think you can get that done, especially if that team is sitting there sub 500 and trying to win games. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. I think that's a deal. I would almost go as far as to say that you might be able to get that one for one, but at the very least, it wouldn't take much of a second player to get that deal done. And I would do that, by the way, in a heartbeat. I still love Darren Waller more than Mike Kosicki rest of the season. So something to kind of keep in mind if you're an owner of Mike Kosicki right now. I think you might be able to get away with it for another week because we still don't know about Devontae Parker yet. We know Will Fuller's not coming back, but they will come back at some point this year. He's not going to be able to maintain the value he's been able to give you over the past few weeks. Now, Waddle, on the other hand, regardless of who's been out there, he's been the number one receiver. He continues to operate in the slot as the number one receiver, even when the other two guys are out there. He's the safety blanket. He is getting all kinds of volume, and eventually he's going to start breaking big plays because he's a big play wide receiver. Obviously, he's not going to be thrown to that way, but eventually he's going to bust one. Seven receptions, 83 yards on eight targets, but for now, you love the volume. He's a strong wide receiver, too. And you're not worried about Jalen Waddle anytime soon. Love watching this kid play. And even though he's not getting used in the capacity that I thought he would be, it's nice to see him get the value and maintain fantasy value. On the other side of the ball, we go to the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan continues to play much better. 336 yards, two touchdowns, interception. He is playing himself back into top 12 streaming quarterback territory that you can actually trust. This game, he had Calvin Ridley back along with Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts... Took the lid off the end zone in the London game against the New York Jets. Comes back off the bye week. Seven receptions, 163 yards, and eight targets. Now, very similar to Mike Kosicki. Not really playing the tight end position. Was playing more so as a, an elite. He looked like Julio Jones out there to me, quite frankly. He was playing as a number one outside wide receiver. What's weird about that, what's annoying about that, is Calvin Ridley's usage. So he comes through with the touchdown, thankfully. Saves his fantasy day but only four receptions, 26 yards, 10 targets. He still led the way. He's still the leading pass catcher as far as targets are concerned. But he's only getting these, these balls thrown to him at the line of scrimmage. I don't I don't get it. I don't get when Calvin really became this, like, this, this Wes Welker-type slot receiver. Because that's kind of what they're utilizing him as. It's maddening. Because it's not allowing him to be the wide receiver one that he should be within this offense. Now, I predicted him to be. That's why it's a little more frustrating. I'm not the only one, but still. Want to be right. Should be right. The way they're utilizing Calvin really doesn't make any sense. But that is what's going on. And the hope was, you know, he didn't play in the London game. When Matt Ryan started to show that he was willing to start to take shots down the field a little bit more. Well, Ryan did it again in this game, but all the shots with the Kyle Pitts on the outside, Calvin really still operated as that slot man safety blanket. So as a result of that, look, the volume's there. He does have the opportunity to score touchdowns. So I still think he's a high-end wide receiver too, but I don't know 
until they utilize him differently, I don't know if he can ever be that wide receiver one that you drafted and wanted him to be, unfortunately. I don't know if that's ever going to come to pass. It's unfortunate. I wish it wasn't the case. But at this point, there's no other way to break it down. Here's something that was interesting, too. Now, I talked about this leading into the week because there's this big argument you know, from everybody all week long. Cordero Patterson, is he a sell high? Because he can't, obviously, his production can't sustain with the utilization he's been having, which is completely true. But my point was, I was like, look, if you can sell him high for an elite player, yeah, fine, do it, of course. But otherwise, I don't know what you're selling him off for. Because the one thing I was making the argument for is that he was definitely going to distinctively have a key role rest of season. Like that part wasn't going to go away. He was going to be involved in the passing game. He was going to get his carries. He was going to be utilized as a playmaker. So him, as far as not being fantasy relevant, which were some people's arguments out there, that wasn't going to be true. His role wasn't going to disappear. This game, however, if he didn't sell off Cordell Patterson, you really don't sell him off unless you're getting an elite player in return for him. Because 14 carries, the Mike Davis is four. 60 yards and a touchdown off of those 14 carries. And then he tacks on two receptions for a yard, but five targets where Mike Davis wasn't involved. Now, snap, and, and this is the first week, by the way, snap count wise, Cordero Patterson out snapped Mike Davis. And remember, this was a neutral game script. It was a back and forth game. They won this game 30 to 28. So it wasn't like they were coming back from behind and that allowed Cordell Patterson to play more. Uh-uh. No, no, no. A neutral game script. I think it's safe to say coming out of the bye week, they decided that Cordell Patterson is the lead back. Now, do we need to see one more week to be able to confirm that that is for sure the trend moving forward rest of the season? Yeah. But I think because Mike Davis has been so bad, I, almost, I feel pretty confident saying it out, coming out of the bye in this matchup that Cordell Patterson might be the lead back now. Which means, when it comes to Mike Davis, I'm going to ha- go ahead and hit this drop. Prepare to be flushed. The only reason you own a Mike Davis would be the same reason you own a Jamal Williams. You need a guy with a pulse who might get five to six yards, maybe has the potential to fall into the end zone at some point, and you need him for a spot start because you have nobody else. That's what Mike Davis is. Because I'm telling you right now, I really truly think it's just a matter of time before Wayne Gallman takes over Mike Davis. At this point in their careers, Gallman is a more explosive runner. I think he's better. I honestly think Gallman is more talented than Mike Davis is at this point. Now, the one thing kind of fending that off is that Martha Smith did make a point to want to bring Mike Davis in. So I do wonder if the loyalty there just keeps him ahead in the depth chart longer than he should. But I really think it might be a matter of time. Mike Davis is just not good, period. He's not explosive. He's not efficient. Giving him the ball is, it's it's like giving Malcolm Brown the ball. It's a waste of time. Plain and simple. It's a waste of time. So I don't know how much longer that winds up being the case. But at any rate, I feel confident in saying that Cordell Patterson might be the lead back when it comes to snaps and volume now, not just production in the Atlanta backfield, which you like that if you still have Cordero Patterson. If, if you want to still trade him off, at least now you have even more, you know, more value on your side to trade him off for. So that that's the good news there. Nothing else to really talk about in this game. 
So we got to spend a little bit of time on this matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans. And then we got to speed it up because I got two more games. We got to, we got to recap here, but Chiefs Titans, they come in and man, the Chiefs are a mess. They are a mess. Defensively, they can't do anything. I will give the defense this. They did a pretty good job holding Derrick Henry in check. I know Derrick Henry owners out there are pissed, and I had him in some DFS lineups. I was pissed too, but 29 carries. He still gets he still gets his borderline 30 carries in a game, which is absolutely ridiculous. But 29 carries, 86 yards, only three yards of carry in this matchup, and then tacked on two receptions for 16 yards on two targets. So they did a good job holding him in check. A.J. Brown went off, as we expected him to do. He's in my top 10 wide receivers. Eight catches, 133 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets. Good for A.J. Brown. It was, we knew it was heading in the right direction when he had a decent game against the Buffalo Bills. He came through. It was able to finally have a wide receiver one performance in this matchup. Hopefully, this now will spark a hot streak at A.J. Brown to make up for the piss-poor performances you've had up until this point for a guy you drafted to be your wide receiver one. So hopefully this will spark something rest of the year for AJ Brown, who looked better physically, not, not just because production wise, but physically looked better in this game. And he pretty much has all season long, making you think he's probably over the hamstring injury. I'll tell you somebody who's not is Julio Jones. He was on a limited snap count. He played the exact same amount of snaps. In fact, he played a few less snaps, same amount of routes run as Josh Reynolds in this game came down with uh, two receptions for 38 yards on four targets. He did get targeted in the end zone once. Wasn't really there for him, though. Julio Jones, when he's 100% healthy, might be a wide receiver three to consider. I don't know if we're ever going to know whether Julio Jones is 100% healthy heading into a matchup. I feel like they're just going to find ways to activate him, to play him, to try to keep the defense honest off of A.J. Brown. But it's rough. I'm not ready to drop Julio Jones yet. But this is not a guy that I want to play if I have another option to turn to, at least not until I know he's actually back and healthy. Another guy who we needed to get right was Ryan Tannehill. Didn't have the huge fantasy day, but 21 of 27, 270 yards in the passing game, a touchdown, an interception, and came through with a rushing touchdown also in this game, something he hasn't been doing a lot of this year. So you'd like to see that. This does give you the confidence now that if you have another good matchup coming up, Ryan Tannehill can be a streaming option and you can have some confidence that he'll come through for you. All right, so the good with the Chiefs is one thing, and that's Patrick Mahomes' clear concussion protocol right away. He'll play next week. So that's that's the silver lining. The bad part is they got to figure something out. Mahomes cannot continue to just put everything on his shoulders. He cannot. He's playing. He reminds me so much right now of Aaron Rodgers in Mike McCarthy's last season before LaFleur took over. That's what he reminds me of. That's the way he's playing, where the defense is really bad. The offense, you have a limited amount of players that you can go to. You know, Rodgers had, he had Jones and Adams, which is not much different than he is now, which is why he's been so pissed off. But Mahomes, he's, he's got Kelsey and Hill. He doesn't really trust anybody outside of, outside of those two. And he's putting the whole weight of the world on his shoulders to win games for his team. And as a result, he's trying to do too much. He's holding on to the ball too long. He's trying to make a big play every single time. And then Andy Reid isn't doing him any favors because he's not keeping the defense honest because nobody's afraid of the Chiefs running the football. You catch him off guard every time you do. Darrell Williams only had five carries in this game for 20 yards. That's it. That's pathetic. 
that's pathetic against a Tennessee Titan team that you can run the ball on, you can have a balanced attack. He's got to take some pressure off of Mahomes' shoulders. He's got to give him the gift of play action back. You also got to get more unpredictable on offense because right now what's happening is because no one expects you to run the ball ever, no matter what the situation is. The defensive line, the pass rushers are just pinning their ears back and they're just going for the quarterback and they're dropping six and seven in coverage. That's what's happening over and over again. Well, guess what? I don't care who you are. That's not a recipe for success for the for an offense. You can't be one-dimensional. Plain and simple. You can't be one-dimensional all the time in this league. So until Andy Reid figures out that he needs to run the ball and get back to play action and actually get a little bit more creative on offense and not being stop just being shotgun all the time, we're going to continue to see the Chiefs underperform. Now, Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, you have these players. You know they're uber-talented, and if anybody can turn it around, it's them, and it's Andy Reid. Okay, I'm not panicking. I'm not looking to sell. Unless I got one hell of a deal coming back to me, which, look, that's what I said. With trading, it's all relative. If you're going to get a great deal, fine. But it needs to be a fantastic deal for any one of those three players. I'm also not worried about Darrell Williams. Was he disappointing? Absolutely in this game. Is that going to stop me from playing him as an RB2 next week? No, it's not. It's not. We know what he's capable of, what his role is with Clyde Edwards-Lair out. I'm going to play him as an RB2 at least until Clyde Edwards-Lair comes back. And even then, he still might be a flex consideration. So ultimately, nothing changes for me for the Chiefs other than, yes, you're disappointed. I have some disappointment with you guys. There's really nothing you can do about it that's going to be better for you from a fantasy perspective. You just have to hope they start to play better and Andy Reid starts to call better games. So now we dive into the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens matchup. Joe Burrow, 416 yards, three touchdowns, did have the one pick. But man, oh man, what a great game he had. And I told you guys going into this game, or I told Chris, I should say, because we were going back and forth on this on the Friday night show. We talk about our lock bets of the week. And he was all over the Ravens, minus six and a half. And I was all over the Bengals at plus six and a half, going with them for the upset pick of the week. And the reason for me basically was this. I told everybody, throw out the game you saw against the Chargers where the Ravens defense played like the Ravens defense and they just beat them up physically. I'm like, they're not going to do that against Cincinnati Bengals. First of all, this is not the same Bengals team that we're used to. This is a good Bengals team. And they know how to play their division. And the Ravens defense isn't actually that good. They're not terrible, but they're not that good. You can attack the perimeter. You can attack them downfield. I believe this is their third 400-yard passing performance they've given up this season. What they did against the Chargers was more of an aberration than what's really in their capabilities of a consistent basis. That's what it got proven in this game. And then, of course, you know, half of that performance went to Jamar Chase. (laughs) Eight receptions, 201 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. This guy is, he's already a superstar. There's no other way to put it. He's already, as a rookie in his first seven games now, already a superstar NFL wide receiver, plain and simple. And the beauty part of Jamar Chase, even if defenses start to try to game plan and tilt their coverages more towards Chase, they still can't do that completely. They can't commit fully to that. That's why he'll never really truly be taken away. As long as T. Higgins is on the field and Tyler Boyd, even though he's not very involved, is in the slot and they have Joe Mixon, because they have all these other weapons on offense, you can't key in and try to take away Jamar Chase. Maybe a team will do it, just be like, all right, look, Beat us with T. Higgins. Just beat us with somebody else. You're not going to beat us with Jamar Chase. But that's still not going to happen every single week. 
because T. Higgins can beat you if you leave him out there on one-on-one coverage. By the way, didn't have a huge game in this one, I know, but still, seven receptions and 62 yards on 15 targets. 15 targets. They wanted him to be involved. Now, I was a little bit curious. You look, you look a little deeper to the usage here. He actually had the third most snaps and the third most route run. He was, he was actually behind Tyler Boyd as far as like actual playing time. But 15 targets. So when he was on the field, they were making a point. They want to get him the ball. I kind of felt like that was coming. I thought he would have a bigger gain than what he wound up having. But I kind of felt like that was coming because they had they had been getting him involved almost the same rate as Jamar Chase, but he hadn't had this really big game yet. They love T. Higgins. They love the performance he's put in, the hard work he's put in, the practice time. He's been a little bit banged up. T. Higgins is somebody who's going to continue to be a very, very solid with upside wide receiver three for me moving forward. And Tyler Boyd, look, I told you guys to drop him. As far as his value goes, it hasn't changed for me. If you dropped him, I wouldn't be picking him up. He played more than T. Higgins in this game. Still walks away with four receptions, 39 yards. You look at the seven targets and you think to yourself, like, well, you like the seven targets. Sure. But it's still, it's targets around the line of scrimmage. It's not in position score. It's not position for big plays. There's just, like, once again, there's just no upside with a Tyler Boyd. Now, here's what we got to dive into on the Cincinnati Bengals side. Joe Mixon, Samaja Perrine. Look at the box score. You see it's, it's 12 carries. Samaja Perrine's 11. 59 yards for Mixon, 52 for Perrine. They both rush for a touchdown. And then Perrine's the only one who gets a reception here, one reception for 23 yards on the target. I'm not worried about Joe Mixon. This screams to me the the argument we were having about Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon a couple weeks ago, and then we followed up with A.J. Dillon not really being involved the following week. I'm not worried about Joe Mixon. The only thing about Perrine being healthy that bothers me is the fact that it does seem to negatively affect Joe Mixon on a consistent basis when it comes to the receiving work. That's been a thing, and that does bother me. It bothers me that he's become kind of Giovanni Bernard and where he's annoying enough to take away from Mixon and cap his ceiling for really no good reason at all. Okay, but in this game, Perrine got most of his work in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter. That's when he got the big touchdown it was in the fourth quarter when this game was well in hand and the Bengals were way up. I guarantee you if the Ravens were ahead in this game or if this game was super close, Joe Mixon would have outperformed or outcarried and outworked well ahead of Samaja Perrine. Remember, Mixon's still just a couple weeks removed from that ankle injury. So in a situation where they didn't have to use him, I'm not surprised that they didn't. So no, I'm not looking at this as a committee and Joe Mixon is no longer an RB1. All I will say that I am a little bit concerned about is that when Perrine's healthy, Mixon does seem to be a little bit less involved in the passing game, and that's very, very annoying given his skill set, but it is something to kind of keep your eye on moving forward. On the Ravens side of the ball, Lamar Jackson continues to be solid for fantasy, right? 88 yards rushing. He always got that floor, but 257 yards passing, only had the one passing touchdown, he actually didn't play a great game in this one. And again, I go back to Cincinnati Bengals defense, one of the most underrated defenses in the NFL right now. They sacked him five times. They really bottled him up. Didn't let him get comfortable. He's 15 and 31, less than 50% completion percentage. That's not like Lamar Jackson. That's not the Lamar Jackson we've seen this year. Okay, so hats off the Cincinnati Bengals defense. They played a great game. Obviously, we're not worried about Lamar Jackson. Better days are ahead. And even, you know, in a four game, he was still getting you 20 fantasy points anyway. And Marquise Brown, even in a game like this, still came through for you. Five receptions, 80 yards, gets the touchdown, had 14 targets in this matchup. 
Rashad Beatman still not at 100%, still not getting a full plethora of snaps. That will come as they work him back in to get the NFL shape, obviously. But still, three receptions, 80 yards on six targets. So for me with Bateman, the only question is, what is his role really when Sammy Watkins comes back? Are they are they ready to just give Rashad Bateman that second starting receiver role, that second usage receiver role? Or is him and Sammy Watkins still going to kind of be in a split? I think that's the only question I have left because at this point for me, Rashad Bateman, I think pretty soon, will be a guy that you will start to talk about weekly in your fantasy football lineups. All right, And I know Mark Andrews the points here, three catches, 48 yards. I don't think you're worried about Mark Andrews. He's been on a great streak. He's shown why he is a top three tight end, I believe, pretty much the rest of the way. Even when George Kittle comes back, by the way. Even when George Kittle comes back, I still believe Mark Andrews is a top three tight end. All right, let's take this to our last game so we can get this thing wrapped up because we're running a little over on the clock today. Got a little bit carried away. What? How can you blame me? I love talking fantasy football with MD Nation. So we talk about, let's go into Washington and Green Bay to cack this thing off. And Packers win the game 24-10, cover the spread. Awesome. One of my lock pits of the week. 6-1 and one now. Probably the most boring 6-1 and one team I've ever, well, not maybe not ever seen, but have seen in a while, at least especially this year anyway. Now, of course, the big news we got to kick this thing off with, again, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but Devontae Adams on the COVID-19 list, in order for him to play Thursday, he's going to have to test negative twice back-to-back days. It's going to be very difficult to do because he is vaccinated. So the only way that you could end up on the COVID-19 list if you're vaccinated is if you've actually tested positive. So unless this thing wound up being a false positive, I don't know if there's a scenario in where Adams is able to suit up this week. Now, if he's out, Alan Lazard becomes very interesting because Lazard actually had a nice game in this one. Five receptions, 60 yards. He gets a touchdown on six targets. So he'll be interesting. And Robert Tanya might enter the streaming territory if Adams is going to be out this Thursday too. He finally came back to life for this game. Four receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown on five targets. Now, I'm going to say this right now, though. If Adams were to play or second Adams comes back, let's say if he doesn't play week eight, he comes back you know, week nine, presumably. Robert Tanya continues to be somebody that I don't want to stream. He just hasn't been involved enough in a very slow tempo offense. And I would suspect that the Packers going into that Thursday game might lean a little more heavily on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, especially Aaron Jones in the passing game to kind of help them out as well. By the way, this was a terrible game for the Green Bay Packer running back. Dillon fumbled twice. Jones only had six carries for 19 yards, only tacked on five receptions for 20 yards. I mean, normally you like the five catches, but the fact they only went for 20 yards kind of kills you a little bit. I mean, him not getting involved against Washington, it was it was very, very odd. A game in which they were leading for the majority of the game. You would have thought they'd melt the clock. They never really turned this thing over to the to the running backs. They never really did. So it was very odd in that sense. I'm not really taking anything out of their usage one way or another because this was just an odd game, an aberration game, not something I expect to continue moving forward. Rodgers himself, though, was great. 274 yards, had three passing touchdowns, so he did exactly what you need him to do from a fantasy standpoint. We'll talk about this game more tomorrow on the waiver wire report because I'm going to bring up Alan Lazard most likely, and then we'll also talk about this game, of course, on Wednesday night when Chris comes back at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. on at BillyUpMDF of Show on Social Media and on the YouTube channel when we start to preview that Thursday night game and all the early slate window of games heading into uh, week eight. That's when we'll have more information and talk about that in a little more detail. On the Washington side of the ball, 
is the usage of Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. That's the story here. Because Terry McLaurin, look, great. Seven receptions, 122 yards, a touchdown, 12 targets. He, he was a wide receiver one heading into this matchup. There was never any doubt about that. And yes, uh, Diami Brown picks up a knee injury. But outside of Terry McLaurin, there's just not a Washington wide receiver worth owning or even talking about. And Ricky Seals-Jones, he didn't get the touchdown this week, but seven targets, six catches, 51 yards. You're not upset about that at all. So you will live with that moving forward. What we have to talk about in breakdown moving forward is Antonio Gibson, 14 carries, 51 yards, 3.6 yards a carry. J.D. McKissick only had four carries, 22 yards, and he was the leading pass catcher, as you would expect. Four receptions, 34 yards on six targets. So looking at based off of that, you're like, okay, well, Antonio Gibson still led the way. We know he's going to be a little bit banged up, a little bit limited, but he was still the guy at the end of the day. And he was. I mean, from a usage was, he was. But the snap count kind of tells a different story. You look a little bit deeper, it tells a little bit of a different story. Jay McKissick outsnapped him 45 to 31. Okay, so what you get from that is like, okay, Gibson, when he was out there, they're giving him the ball. They're going to let him carry it. But if he's going to continue to miss time like this, while McKissick didn't have a big game in this one, I do think those big reception games are going to come for J.D. McKissick, and he's going to be worked in a little bit more. He's going to get a few more carries than he normally would see. It's just clear Antonio Gibson's just not 100%. So he's somebody that I think is going to wind up becoming a little bit touchdown dependent to able to sustain what your, your expected fantasy value of him really is. And I, I think as a result of that, I think Gibson, until he's able to get healthier, and I, I don't know that he will if he's never resting, but until he's able to get healthier, he's a mid-level RB2 at best and a good matchup. If it's a tough matchup, he might be more of an, a low-end RB2, maybe, dare I say it, a high-end RB3, because he doesn't have the receiving work to give him the floor to go with it. So that's kind of the issue we're seeing here with Antonio Gibson moving forward. You're still going to play him. You still value him, but you're not going to be able to sell him I, I just don't think, like I said, until he's able to get healthy, I don't know if or when that would happen considering he's not resting. But you can't really expect high-end RB2, low-end RB1 production out of this guy right now. You just can't. It's unfortunate, but you can't. We'll keep our eyes on him, and hopefully he's able to get better as they're able to manage him. That's going to do it for the show, guys. Went a little long today, but that's okay. We'll be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow with the primetime recap and the waiver wire report. Make sure you tune into that. Make sure you tune in from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. And check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. I'm your host, Dan Mater. We'll see you guys again real soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. 
Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. 